0: Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos and I have Tyler Mudo from Consider The Dog joining me on our show today. Welcome, Tyler. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me.
0: No, It's it's a pleasure. I've been wanting to get you on for a very long time. Actually, when when we originally um, did the list of guests for the podcast, you were on that original list back in the day, like four years ago um but as we've discovered today sometimes it can be a little bit tricky um aligning our international guests and we already got one hour off i'm like hey dude i'm waiting and you're like i think we're one hour off so thanks for um adjusting your um evening and making this happen because um yeah i've learned a lot from you and you've come out to sydney um to 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 a seminar that i attended to and um i gel with your with your philosophy and your and your application of training and and also more importantly i love how you explain the training i think um, I resonate with that because, you know, you have your analogies and the way that you connect the training and, and, and philosophy of training and like to humans and to dogs and how you can kind of make that connection. I really do gel with that. So um, thanks for putting all of your work out there.
1: Yeah, man. No problem. I think, you know, it's an important thing, right? Like you can be uh, you could be a really good player, but that doesn't always make you a good coach right? And yeah. um, I think dog training is kind of the same thing. I think, um, especially if, if we're going to be professional dog trainers, we have to know how to train the dog, but we also have to be really good at at um, coaching other people through it as well, right? And uh, it's a different skill set. Two, two skill sets you got to be great at in this world.
0: It's 100%. What do you reckon, like if you could make a, like a, a random percentage up of trainers, trainers that are training client dogs, so like we're talking about dog trainers that are helping pet owners with their dogs how many of them do you reckon have the skills and like you know the um the gift of the gab in terms of um explaining their their content compared to they're really good with handling and and training a dog but they suck at explaining and coaching other people what do you reckon is it like a 50-50 or
1: oh uh, man that's a hard one to answer i'm not sure i think you know i i would hope that people who are doing this as a profession um that they they put the same kind of time and energy into being a good teacher for humans as they do into being a good teacher for dogs i think there's there's a difference right like there are people who train uh for sport like for for competitive purposes that are can be excellent dog trainers but they're not required to communicate what they do to other humans, yeah. right? Um, but they're also not necessarily out there hanging their shingle up being a professional trainer. So who cares? Um, but I, I, you know, I'm I want to be perfectly honest with you. I don't pay that much attention to what other dog trainers are doing, sure. <laughs> um, to be perfectly frank. But that being said, um, I do spend a lot of my time these days coaching other dog trainers. I kind of mentioned that to you earlier. And uh, I, I'm always pleasantly surprised. I think a, a lot of people that are in the professional spectrum, um, they really do recognize the importance of of being able to communicate to humans. So uh, the people who I get to engage with, I think a lot of them are good at it. And I don't yeah. know if that's a function of, um, you know, I just, I got the right circle of people that are coming to me for help, or if it's uh, actually a good indication of the larger dog training community I'm not 100 sure but totally very optimistic about it I see a lot of really really strong young trainers out there today which is really cool
0: yeah it's awesome and actually we're just speaking um before we went um live talking about how um you know us Australian trainers because I've been in the game for about 12 years now so back in the day YouTube and social media just started becoming a thing but it wasn't really what it is today by any means so we relied and even before my time of becoming a trainer we relied on like you know you know, VHS and DVDs and, you know, getting people and flying them out for seminars down down to Australia. And it seems like Australia's always last, even like with fashion or with like general trends, you know, and things become available available to us after they've become available to like the US in a way. So I think that trend um was a thing for a while. And we re- and we looked up we look up to a lot of American trainers because, you know, you guys had had maybe a lot more access and, and maybe there's a lot more of you. So there's more networking and, and more things going on. I think now we're kind of Leveling out in a way, like there's a lot of talent in Australia, and
1: yeah, 100%. but you,
0: but I think also it's um, I guess it is who you're looking at because I don't look at my competition and what they're up to. The reason why I asked the question in regards to your perspective of like you know trainers and their their way of explaining is because I knew that you know a lot of the time that you spend currently is about you know helping other trainers you know improving their business, improving their their, their skills and stuff, and you know it's um it's really important for anyone listening. If you are an owner looking for a trainer, or if you're a trainer actually training dogs, if you're an owner looking for a trainer, you want to know that they can understand. And one thing that you could probably have a metric of that, and you know, and some people may may be upset by this, but Check their their social media presence. Check what videos they're putting up, and you know, are they have they got a podcast or they have some other you know content that they're putting out there? So you can kind of see, do you gel with it? Do you understand what this person's saying? And if you're a trainer that goes, oh, I don't really like putting things up on social media, I think I think you should for heaps of reasons. Number one, of course, it's free advertising. You know, it's a catalogue of your business. If somebody knows, oh, cool, I, I want to check out, you know, Nutris Pooches, they can just type that in on on Instagram and say, oh, you're pretty active, you're doing your stuff. I can see. You know, you're pretty transparent with your training and that can kind of give a good vibe. But also, you know, on the other side of it, which I don't want to spend too much time with, but, you know, we have a big riff in our, in our training um, industry. And if we're hesitant to put anything out there because we're worried about the criticism we get, not from everyday people, but from other dog trainers, I, th- I say put the content out there because if we hide or we're shy of putting, you know, certain tools up or certain techniques out there, and you sh- and you're scared of the the negative feedback i just don't think that does anything good for you and and for and for the industry as a whole but i want to get your perspective of that
1: yeah um so first off like to your to your first point i've purchased quite a few online courses over the past five years or so for one of my other hobbies a non-dog training hobby And I don't think I've ever purchased a course from somebody that I did not already learn a lot from just based on what they put out there for free on social media. So by the time I made the purchase, I knew that I liked the person. I liked their teaching style. I knew that I was getting value already from them. So it made it a very low risk purchasing decision for me. Um, and a lot of times the course, it's like, it's, I've already got like 90% of it just from what they put out for free, but I'm happy to pay for that last 10%. I'm also happy to support them because they've already provided value to me. Right. Um, so I, I, agree with you hundred percent. If you're a professional out there, uh, don't be afraid of, of sharing information. And then, yeah, like you just have to develop a thick skin. You know, I used to be really sensitive to it early on in my career. I, I was one of the early people on social media from a dog trainer standpoint. Like when I first started putting videos on YouTube of my work, YouTube was only one year old, just to give you some context. Um, When was it that you became a professional trainer? What year? uh, 2006-ish, something like that. Um, And I was certainly one of only a couple trainers out there that were openly showing the use of like – Tools that would be considered like controversial, like the e-collar, ooh, right? And I was, I was very open about my use about it. Um, and I wasn't trying to put this out like nationally. I just wanted to put videos on my website and it was easy to put them on YouTube and then embed them into my website to help with my local business. And I used to get nasty, like hate mail, death threats, like really nasty stuff, the ugliest comments you could imagine. And for a long time, I actually had the, um, Comments disabled on my YouTube videos. Like, I just, it affected me so much internally. Um, and then on like Facebook and other platforms where at the time you were not able to disable comments, if a negative thing came in, I just deleted it right away. Cause if it was there, it was going to like eat away at me. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to be comfortable enough in my own skin that I just don't care anymore. Um, and actually, of course, like knowledge of how the algorithms work. I'm like, thanks. Like, th- the more you comment on my stuff, like the better it's going to do. So, Yeah. I just, just, you know, the thing is like, people are just nuts online. So like, who cares? Just let them do their thing. And it's not like, it's just, I don't know. It's you just got to get over it. Right. Yeah. I think it's like the customers that are going to like you, aren't going to care about the stuff that like the trolls say, and those trolls were never going to like you. And they're never going to be convinced to like you. And they were never going to spend money on you anyway. And the other trainers that want to criticize you, like they're not hiring you, like those aren't your customers. So just like who cares? Yeah. And yeah. and everybody now, I think at this point in time, is so, um, like we're so accustomed to like the negativity online that when we see negative comments or like a negative review, I think we almost always view it with a little bit of skepticism. We're like, well, let me, yeah. like, maybe this person's just kind of a, a Jerk, or maybe this person like misused this product, or let me re- read some of the other ones and see what other people have to say. And I, yeah, it's Always. just not worth it. It's just not worth it. But yeah, put stuff on social media and don't care what other people say. That's kind of my whole thing on it.
0: Yeah, and I think like you or know, just was, don't look like just, just don't
1: you know yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> and don't just let it go. Just let it do its thing. Just let it go, and don't have to try to defend it, and then and, and add to the fuel of the fire. Just let it be, you know, because your haters are going to hate, as you said. Um, it's just like you know, what's that? You know, the fear of public speaking. I say to my clients in terms of like, you know, making the analogy of like generalizing a behavior. It's like, oh, my dog comes when I'm in the backyard, I'm inside the house, but, you know, he doesn't do it in the park. And I would say, well, you got to generalize it. He's like, but he knows it. He knows it. I'm like, listen, you know how to talk. We've been talking for the last 45 minutes. If I put you on a podium in front of 100,000 people and I told and I told you to tell me the story you just told me, you would probably buckle and stand there and talk really weird or maybe not talk at all and i would say but you and then if you came off stage i'd be like well, what the hell was that you know how to talk why did you not talk then the same way you talked mm-hmm. to me then i'm like well the context is different um but m- but to my point is why is it that we're scared of public speaking and putting things out there is because when we lived in villages back in the day it was there was a big price to pay if you were to voice your opinion out loud in front of you know your community and it was an unfavorable thing you may be exiled or or you know ridiculed and that could affect you and your family or whatever. So there's something evolutionary about putting something out there publicly or even public speaking. And I guess YouTube video, social media kind of taps into maybe that part of the brain. I'm not sure. So um, but now like we're getting desensitized to it and we're becoming accustomed to it. There's like that's just part of what it yeah. is. If I've got an opinion, you don't like it, that's cool. We can talk about it, or you could we could just let it be. So um, yeah, if you are struggling with with a little bit of that, then maybe dabble a little bit into it. But get yourself out there. Otherwise, it's just not not good for anybody. And of course, you don't know who you're inspiring. Maybe only three people watch it. But, you know, one of those people may be, you know, that may be everything to that person. And if you can affect one person, I think that's amazing. So, yeah, 100%. I actually
1: really like that analogy for I'm going to use that that analogy for generalizing. Um, oh, yeah. I come across this all the time when it comes to, um, so I'll tell you a story. It, kind of, This might shift gears a little bit, but Let's do it. it's that's more good. of a dog training type thing. So... I was recently working with a dog trainer and um, she had a previous mentor who was, for lack of a better term, just kind of old school. And so we were working with this dog on the dog's reactivity. This dog was reactive to everything, like people, dogs, cars going by, you know, shopping carts, if you took it to like Home Depot. I don't know if you guys have Home Depot there, but it's like no. home goods, like construction store, they think buy like lumber. Bunnings, and- Bunnings for, for right? us uh, Aussies. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so Um, so we're working with the dog and like part of the process involved using punishment, like using some form of correction. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty specific about how I use punishment. I try to do everything I can to make it as few and far between as possible. And so part of that is, you know, okay, we've corrected the dog for an error. Let's make sure we give the dog the opportunity now to make a different choice And and see success. And then let's just let the dog practice success a bunch. Like, let's just let it happen. Um, because it takes time for learning to sink in. And we want the dog to get confident that like they don't need to worry about getting corrected. They're really good at making the right choice. So we're working on the dog, car's going by. And you know, we had corrected the dog, I think like the previous day, and everything's going great. We're just getting reps in at this point. We're on this country road cars going by dogs doing great. And then like some time lapses with no cars. And we were kind of just talking and like hanging out and this really loud, very fast truck just goes flying by. And the dog like started to react. Didn't even like the, like the dog kind of caught itself. And the trainer I was working with her response was, she's like, see, why did he do that? Why is he being a jerk? And I was like, Whoa, Like, why, why are we assuming that the dog's being a jerk? And she's like, because he knows, he knows he's not supposed to. And I'm like, yo, this dog's like, he's been doing this behavior for like six or seven years. We're on like day, he's been doing this for like less than 24 hours. He's been doing it differently. Like that's a reflex. It takes more energy at this point for him to make the right choice than it does for him to accidentally make the wrong choice. And the analogy I use for that also is like, did you ever like bite your fingernails as a kid or anything mm-hmm. like that? Or have like a habit like that you tried to break. You know, you could be like working really hard on it. And in that process, like maybe you're working on some homework or you're reading or you're watching a movie and you don't even notice it, but you're biting your nails. Right. Like the the actual, like the action has become automatic at this yep. point. And you actually have to be consciously like keeping it in your awareness to prevent yourself from doing it. So here we are with this dog. And again, some time had lapsed and we were just chatting and this car came by fast and out of nowhere. And so the dog wasn't in like the mode where it was like, okay, what if I learn? What do I got to do? And it just defaulted into the behavior probably without even realizing it. And then once it did it, like really easily caught itself and came back. And so where this trainer was programmed to think like, oh, this dog knows right from wrong and is just being a jerk. I'm like, nah, man, like learning takes time. And we make mistakes, and it's just you know. Again, we got to generalize, Like he's seen a bunch of cars, but he hasn't seen that super fast, loud truck go by. And um, I don't know. It just it kind of reminded me of what you were yeah. saying there, and, and and I think it's an important point.
0: I think so, and and also like you know maybe fr- from everything you said there is that or oh, he's being a jerk and old school. Again, I'm just going to paraphrase. I don't know anything about the situation, but if if we have um, influence from you know like an, an older kind of older school kind of mindset. It's like, he's being a jerk. You tell him, you tell him who's boss, you know, he, he, like being more compulsive based rather than, Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if we went to the other spectrum, like in a very new age, you know, um, plus R sort of training, it's like, no, no, you know, we're going to take our time. It's going to take seven years to to, to become a, a changed behavior. And I was like, well, how, how, how we go right to the middle, right? So, um, I, f- I feel what you're saying. And, and on your point about biting nails, I used to bite my nails all the time until I started working in dog kennels, and I immediately stopped biting my nails because my my fingers were gross all the time. It was, gross, so yeah. it was it was perfect, and I didn't bite them to this day because of that. And I worked in in kennels for you know a few years. So if you do have a biting nails problem, then volunteer at the at the local shelter and get your hands dirty, yeah. <laughs> Go clean up some dog poop for a few hours. Exactly. Um, Tell the listeners a little bit about what Consider the Dog is and what you guys do and, and what the main focus is.
1: Yeah, uh, Consider the Dog is, is my baby. Um, so it's a a platform, a website, and we have an app as well for the major devices. Um, it's a educational platform for dog behavior, uh, primarily video-based. We have over 150 videos and video-based courses uh, for myself and nine or so other instructors. Um, or you know, we have a community basically, so people can become a member, it's just a very low monthly fee. You get access to tons of content. Uh, we have a private Facebook community, we're also working on launching a community kind of right within the website and the app itself. Um, and then uh, we do twice monthly live streams as well, so people can interact and uh, ask questions. People upload like videos of their own work into the Facebook, so we can like give feedback. So it's really interactive. That's awesome. And um, yeah, we we, it's it's super cool. So part of part of my thinking for creating it the way I did, um, I started it back in 2018, um, and you know, I I really wanted there were certain things that I wanted for myself in a platform. I had already done some work um, with other companies producing content, um, but I was restricted to the way that they're sort of stuff worked right um and i needed a little bit more flexibility because of the nature of my work it's with behavior work you can't always say like okay like i'm going to film on this day because you, you can't predict when a dog is going to do what it's so to true do. and so i wanted to create a platform that like i wanted for myself but the thing was like i'm the kind of guy that like my background's in philosophy i, I like learning stuff and i don't by any means think that like I've got all the answers or that my way is the only way. Um, and so it was really important to me that when I created this website, it wasn't like all about me. So when I started um, working on the idea, I reached out to a bunch of my colleagues and asked if they would want to be a part of it, if they would want to contribute content and, and be a part of it, um, and have it become you know a community of us trainers to also work with a community of the dog owning population, and actually our client base is probably 50, 50, uh, as far as it's dog dog owners, but also professionals. We get a lot mm-hmm. of professionals that use us as a resource and, and even use us, um, some of our courses as supplementary material for their customers as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, so it's really cool. I, I deliberately invited people that do things differently than I do. Um, because I think that's important. You know, one thing I learned, um, running my training center for you know over 10 years i had at any point in time you know roughly 10 or so people working for me um a lot of trainers coming through the doors over the years is that dog training is like a really personal thing you know we're it's it's um when you're training i mean unless you're just doing like very like mechanical type stuff but especially when you're doing behavioral work and you're helping families it's very personal and everybody's going to relate. Dogs differently, everybody's going to relate to their customers differently. And early in running my training center, I would try to kind of make my team train dogs exactly the way I did like their first lesson should be exactly the same as my first lesson, and their second lesson should be exactly the same as mine. And it wasn't working that great. And it was only when I kind of loosened up and I started letting people sort of do it their own way. Uh, following our kind of overall set of values. And as long as they produced the results that we were known for, and then I was always there to kind of help guide them where I could, but they might do their first lesson totally different than I would. And sort of like then and only then did my team start also doing really great work on their own without, me. and you know, that, that was like a huge lesson for me. It's just like, just cause doing it a certain way works for me, doesn't mean that that same way is going to work for you. Um, And even with the same dog, like that was the interesting thing. Like, I could bring a dog out for a training session and working on a walk, and say, "Hey, this is what I did, kind of worked really good." And then one of my staff would be like, "Yeah, I like I did that, like did not work for me, but I did it this other way, and like that's what worked for me." And then like yeah. I tried their way, and it doesn't work for me. Yeah, so no. it's you know I I try to be super flexible about that, and that's why I wanted to have a lot of different viewpoints on the website for consider the dog, so that uh, uh you know somebody can come there. Get a taste of the different instructors, kind of land on somebody or get advice from different sources. Even a lot of times, our, our other clients, like on the Facebook group, are chiming in and giving really awesome advice. Yeah, um, and it's just become a really cool community. So that's what Consider the Dog is. It's um, we do have some some like premium content that you can just purchase like alone, but the bulk of the content is included with the membership, and uh, it's just a monthly or a yearly, depending on how you want to do it. And it's, I think it's honestly, I I think it's one of the greatest resources available for the pet dog world today. And I think a lot, a lot of people would agree with that. So um not to like toot my own form, but again, like just because it's not just me, there's just so for much sure. good content on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just a yeah. really cool place. So I, I really like it.
0: That's awesome. And look, I've been following your stuff and 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 I've checked out the website and um and and it's laid out really nicely. It's it's user-friendly, which is really cool. Um, whoever's listening, definitely go check it out. And the people and so the dogs that you're working with for the videos, are they the those trainers are going out to their clients or are you guys sorting out dogs to to do specifically or is it like, hey, this is what we recorded and this is what the video is going to be about? Like, how do you know what you're gonna work on? to make uh, videos I'm
1: sorry, can you say that question again I'm
0: sorry. so yeah so if, if you go oh cool we're going to make a video this month we're making a, a new course are you mm. specifically working on reactivity or obedience training or is it whatever just happens to come up throughout your schedule like do you have people going we want more reactivity or I want to work on you know um you know I I've, I've got a resource guiding issue or my dog's not coming back when I call do you do you um cater your the videos and the content that you make from um, from your audience or is it like, no, we have over the next year, we have these projects that we're going to run through and then this is what we're going to produce.
1: It's a little bit of both. Um, so there are times where we're like, Hey, we really want to get a course going on X, Y, or Z, and we'll kind of plan it out in that way. Um, but a lot of times it is just sort of like, again, because that's the nature of behavior work is, is, it's just, we'll have something going on and we'll be like, yeah, this case would make a good video. Sure. Let's let's record this and let's turn it into some content. Or we might kind of have an outline going for something that we want to do. And we kind of know what types of footage we need to collect. And then it'll take us time to collect that footage. Sure. But the way it works with our instructors, too, is like most of them are producing their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just sort of the the distribution hub for it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, good. So, you know, like, I mean, I was just having a, a conversation today with Evan Doggett, who's one of our instructors, super talented guy. Um, And we are just talking about like what we feel like our audience sort of wants more of. Um, But it is like, for instance, I'm working on a project right now um, about socialization. And so basically, uh, I sold my training center a little over a year ago. Um, I'm still involved a bit down there with like helping to coach the staff, uh, particularly if they have challenging dogs or a newer, like a newer trainer that they're looking to build up. And so kind of one of those situations arose. They had two dogs coming in for socialization and they asked if I could help out. And I said like, yeah. And so Jake, who's one of my camera guys, um, you know, basically I I went down there for a few days, um, spaced out over a week or two. And, uh, you know, basically the whole time that I was working with the staff, he's just filming. Yeah. And we set up a couple cameras and mics and he just films the whole thing. And then we kind of were in the process of combing through that footage and turning it into like digestible material. Those are actually the hardest projects to yes, do because sure. you end up with a lot of like kind of in the moment, just raw footage. Yeah. Um, when we do have the opportunity to like plan and execute the the post-production is a lot easier. Okay. Uh, it's actually, it goes a lot faster. Uh, mm. So like we did a, a project last year some of your listeners may have followed it is it um, I was working with one of the trainers down there um, with a very human, aggressive German shepherd and uh, they had the dog for a four week board and train. So I was just popping in like once or twice a week to like check in with the trainer, provide some guidance as to like next steps, demonstrate, you know, what should be done, et cetera. And um, I mean, I-, I don't even remember how many hours of footage we ended up with, but we had to take all of that and organize it and really edit it down because we're we're pretty sensitive to making sure that like what we're putting out there is, um, like it's not overwhelming and it doesn't have like long periods of like nothingness, you know, that that that's pretty digestible. So, um, so that's kind of how we end up doing things, Um, Yeah, which is why I, I sort of needed a a more open platform because with the other projects that I had done previously, it was like, nope, we need to kind of plan this thing. And then we've got four days to shoot. And it's like, ah, yeah. you know, so it's like I may want a socialization thing, but I kind of have to then wait until those dogs come. Exactly. In. Exactly. You know I mean? um, yeah. I guess so the reason yeah, why a lot of it's in the moment. A lot of it's just in the moment, really. That's perfect. Which is cool because that's what people like to see. It's like yeah. it's behind the scenes. It's like this is this is the real stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's unplanned and um and sometimes it's not pretty. You know
0: yeah exactly and and those two things i'm gonna say so from from a trainer's perspective when i'm watching something i want to see the things in between the gaps not the thing you're showing but what happens between like let's say for example um reactivity issues yes for sure when the dog barks and lunges at the dog you gotta you know get dog's attention by doing this and that. And this is how you should use leash pressure, whatever. But I want to see the, the the gap between after you've done the technique until it happens again, what's happening there and how are you moving your body and what are you looking for? And, you know, that's what I like to say. Obviously, I'm looking, you know, I- into the full details of it. But another thing that I want to mention and also it'll, um good for the listeners to, to hear is that if you plan something, especially when it comes to dog training, you plan to be like, this is what we're recording this week, and then you may – not show as you said before like it may not be real life things that you're that you're recording because you're kind of like forcing it like come on react like do the thing we're recording now what's wrong with your dog um or you know the dog's doing it perfectly now i want to kind of show you how i messed it up so that i could show you how i fixed it i want to see you know and those are the things that are most important to to watch and um you know like you know just doing basic reels for for instagram i for me it's like more like oh this is going to be interesting and i'll just record and balance it against the wall and then it's like that usually becomes, you know, a, a more popular video rather than oh, today I want to talk about this and then you know it becomes too clinical.
1: Um yeah. So- I think people actually like the kind of lo-fi stuff these days. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the the not overly produced, overly edited stuff, especially on social media. Um but but particularly when it comes to dog behavior, you know, also the other thing I think that's really important. Like so I I produced several years ago a seven and a half hour, roughly um, pretty in-depth course on using the remote collar. And we basically filmed two separate five day workshops. So we had 80 hours of footage. We had 20 total dog and human teams. And uh, when we put together, obviously we didn't show every single rep with every single team that would be mind numbing to watch, but it was important to us that we included reps. where like, okay, this looks perfect something went wrong here. Let's show that. And let's show how we fix it. And that was really important because that's what the existing stuff that was out at the time. And I think still to this day, like just doesn't, it's like some of it barely shows any reps at all because the dogs are already so highly trained before they even start. Exactly. And it was really important to us to show like, you know, novice handlers, totally green dogs, mistakes being made, this dog, it's going perfectly. This dog is going not so perfectly. This dog, we had to make an adjustment because that's the real stuff. Yeah. Um, in fact, we had so much content, we had to put an appendix on it with like bonus footage because mm-hmm. we wanted the main course to kind of flow nicely, but we had all these other reps that we felt like were really valuable. So we just made an appendix and just kind of threw a bunch of extra stuff on there, which was really cool.
0: That's awesome. And that's why we need you know more people like you that have been in the game for so long and understand how people learn and how dogs learn and, and what's effective and what's not so that you know what to put in a video compared to, you know, anyone can make a video course and, you know, inexperienced sort of trainers, you know, newer trainers, you know, obviously want to get a bit of an extra income, for example. And I'm not like I'm discouraging it or anything, but they'll make the video. They put it out there and, and, and again, not like it's, it's wrong or anything, but it's, you need to be careful about what like how you present the information. Cause you're not getting any feedback. If I'm talking to somebody and I see that their body language is suggesting that they're not, Checking in on anything that I'm saying, I need to change what I'm doing. But you don't, you can't see what's happening on the other side of the screen there. So you're being very mindful about what you're putting in. And good dog training doesn't really look overly appealing. It's like it's not like you're watching A season Milan or um, yeah.
1: I would not know. make good TV. I would definitely yes. not make for good TV, that's for sure. You know, actually kind of to, to to sort of connect this with our actually one of our earlier um topics. Um that idea of, um, A, just like sort of recording, but B, like not necessarily being able to notice the feedback. Like if somebody's, if somebody's like trailing off while you're talking, uh, one thing that I highly recommend, I, I assume you probably have a mix of listeners from professional dog trainers yeah. to also dog owners. Um, for those of you that are professionals out there, one thing that I highly, highly, highly recommend you do is at least once a month. Film a session that you do with a client, and not for the purpose of reviewing like what you're doing with the dog, but pay attention to the the interactions between you and the customer. Um, particularly looking for like exactly what you just said: periods where maybe you're rambling a little bit on a topic, and you're losing the client's focus, or you use an analogy and it just doesn't quite land right. And these are things that are really hard to notice in the moment. But when you're reviewing, <laughs> you're going to notice a lot of things. And if you really want to improve your skill set as a teacher, in my opinion, there's no more valuable tool than like watching the tape. It's yep. just like a professional athlete, right? After every single game, they're going to have to sit there the next day and watch the tape Study for hours. Yeah. And we do that with dogs. In fact, I think that one of the reasons I developed as I did as a dog trainer is because I was doing so much of video recording myself early on and and watching back that footage. And it's really painful, but oh, yeah. that's what makes you change, right? Because you see yourself doing these things that you hate watching yourself do. So over time, you do those things less.
0: Because well, you notice it yeah. in the moment, like, oh, I'm doing that thing again that I really hate. Oh, I've got
1: to stop that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the nail biting yeah, thing. Yeah. Could be filler words it could be it could be body language stuff you're doing with the dog just but you're going to notice stuff that bugs you Mm -hmm. and that's what creates the discomfort that makes you change your behavior um but yeah sometimes i'll i'll record just a session with a dog and kind of pay attention to how i'm interacting with that dog but what i think a lot of professionals neglect to do is record their interactions with people and really review that and make sure that their interactions with people are on point, and that it's 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 what they would want it to be. You know? That's so true.
0: I used to do the same thing back in the day. I'd, I'd record it solely for me to look back on it. Same thing when I, you know, doing martial arts training, I'd look back and go, "Oh my god, that's why, that's why Sensei was saying now, look what the hell I'm doing there, it's such an idiot." But in the moment, while you're doing it, you think you're the baddest mofo in the world, right? Yeah. And then, and also, you could be like doing a thing with the dog, but while you're Working the dog, you know, teaching them whatever. And if you can't see what the owners are doing behind you, but in the recording later, are they checking out? I was like, oh, I, there was, I remember one time, like, oh my God, I can't believe I said it. I can't believe I said that to that person in that way. That was, that seemed rude, condescending. Yeah. I may have said it two days ago to a younger, to a to a younger client, where this older client did not
1: appreciate that joke um, whatsoever, exactly. right? So um, yeah, you really got to yeah. dial into that stuff. But also, I mean, also again, e- like, even if you're just a dog owner and you're struggling with something with your dog, like record, record yourself, your like have a friend walk behind you, or put your phone on a tripod and just watch it. And mm-hmm. like, the reason I like, like I say, like do it once a month, because if you're a professional dog trainer, there's no way you're going to watch back every single lesson you do. Like who's got that kind of time. But yeah. even if you do it once a month, like it's a, it's a really powerful, um, really powerful learning tool. No, I love and I do that. it with, with other stuff, not just dog training. Like you said, with martial arts, like I do it with my other hobbies as well. Um, it's, it's the best way to, to, to improve yourself in my opinion.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and yeah, and i i regularly tell clients as well. Yeah, record your sessions. Look what you're doing because um because you you don't you just don't know what what's happening around you. And also, you need to learn how to have um observational skills. You know, and and it's kind of ironic, you know, like when people say, "Oh, you know, I felt I felt like weird vibes from that guy." I'm like, "That's you know th- now not discounting intuition and all that," because I do kind of believe in you know there are certain other vibes and feelings that we feel that kind of give us. You know, um, other senses that we probably don't know. So it's obviously something outside of the scope of today. But but mainly if you're getting bad vibes from someone, that's your eyes, you know, looking at body language, your subconscious brain is saying these certain gestures are either threatening or or, or they're not engaged, or whatever. So your brain, your subconscious brain's understanding that sending a, a feeling to your to your body, and you're like, I gotta get this feeling. And for I think most dog trainers, good professional dog trainers and good like animal people have a good sense of body language it's like you know the way that he's like moving his hand there and the way that he's standing and you know just the way that he you know it's like it's a very very micro gestures you know you become very attuned to that um but that's a skill that needs to be developed because you need to be very um glued in on in body language for dogs obviously and of course how how you're how you're um trying to encourage their um their own as you said a few times, um, you know, he you said they have a background in philosophy, and I mentioned at the beginning how how you utilise philosophy philosophy in your dog training um, teaching. What are some of the crossovers of like philosophy and and dog training? Because I I'm not trained in philosophy, but I do feel that yeah. I, I, I do resonate with with philosophical principles and stuff, and I know that some of them can be very intangible. However, when translated into a thing that you're doing. It seems very direct and and relatable, but can you speak more to that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like as a whole, like, um, philosophy as an academic field is really broad. Um, so to just sort of like narrow down a little bit, my focus when I was in, um, college was, uh, more analytical philosophy, uh, metaphysics and a lot of symbolic logic and, um, so it's, I know metaphysics sounds really intangible, but it's its actually one of the more tangible um, things. Um, and symbolic logic, right, is, is um, I don't know, I think it's shaped my thinking a lot. So I would say like from a crossover standpoint for me personally, um, I think that's kind of where it comes from is like, if something doesn't make logical sense to me, then there's a problem. Um, if somebody can't explain something to me in a way that it like the conclusion follows logically from the premises, then there's a problem. And so I think just naturally with that being my background, and I think it's not just my background. I think the reason is my background is just because that's when my brain sort yeah. of works um, when I'm putting together my own concepts or, putting together an outline to, to teach a course or whatnot, um, I, everything has to be logical. One thing has to be drawn from the next. And if it's not, and I always say, I say, if, if anybody, especially a dog trainer explains something to you or tells you to do something and it requires a leap of faith, then you need to question that seriously because good dog training should not require a leap of faith at all. Like you shouldn't have to just believe it's gonna work. Like mm-hmm. they should somebody should be able to explain it to you in a way that it's like, yeah, that seems like it would work. Like that makes perfect sense. Why did I not think of that before? You know, ultimately that's that's what should happen when we explain dog training, is, is the person should go, yeah, like obviously, like why how did I not come to that conclusion myself? Because mm-hmm. it really isn't that hard at the end of the day. No. Um, but we have to kind of program ourselves to just think a little bit differently. So I think that's kind of where like my philosophical background ties in is that really strong logic background yeah um and that for me like if things don't connect if things don't make sense like it's it's uncomfortable for me like i i need things to make sense in my true 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 um yeah i was a bad
0: student well i guess some teachers would have called me a bad student because if you didn't explain to me sufficiently why we're doing this ridiculous activity i will give you zero of my effort and attention but the good teachers in my opinion the ones that spend a little bit extra time to explain to this dummy what the hell we're doing here and i'm like oh that's interesting maybe we should no, i get it yeah we
1: should probably do that thing um i had the but that's the, a good thing i mean i tell my students all the time i'm like don't don't just take my word for anything yeah like question even what i tell you you know what i mean it, and it has to but but like to your point like my son who's eight years old said to me the other day couple of weeks ago he's like he's like dad you know what i like about you i was like what he's like when i ask you a question you don't just tell me the answer you always tell me why i love that and you know i think as as children, i think children really appreciate that i know i was like that It sounds like you were like that a lot but i think i think everybody some to some degree like wants to understand why yeah. it, it helps us commit it helps us to have mm-hmm. conviction in what we're doing you know especially when you're trying to
0: motivate you know we're talking about um training owners to train their dogs. If you don't know why we're doing this, I'm going to leave and you're just going to stand around going, oh, it's a bit of a waste of time. I don't get it. Um, the how and the yeah. what is pretty easy. You can find that anywhere, but you have to, you know, yeah. if you know your why, and we did an episode on, on on the podcast here a while ago talking about like, what's your why? If you don't, if you don't, if you don't have a why of why you're doing the thing, then, then you're going to be misled about the how and the what and the when. Um, um, so, and it takes a lot extra time and it takes a certain type of, patience and a type of enthusiasm for the why to be like you get it and they're like oh my god i feel so stupid what's wrong with me and i'm like dude i've spent 12 years trying to find a way to say that to you so when you say that this sounds like so much common sense i feel ridiculous i'm like that's a compliment so thank you but also don't beat yourself up over it because you didn't think because and i'll ask them what profession are you in like what do you do and they say oh blah blah, blah. and i'm like look i y- you can Right now, if you assess how I do my bookkeeping, you probably think I'm a fucking idiot as well. Um, and when you teach me a certain couple of tricks and tips on how to like manage that and make it better, I would probably also say that I'm stupid that I didn't know that. But if you knew, then you would have done it. And then I wouldn't be searching for help. So, you know, like yeah, that motivation yeah. um is really important. And, you know, and I tell my clients all the time, like, I'm trying to get rid of you. Like I don't want to keep you forever. Like I'm trying to get rid of you nicely. And if I've gotten rid of you, that means that. And and hope and most of the time, and hopefully, um, you, you've achieved your your results and you're earning more. And even better, when someone will call me up like three months later, oh, this situation occurred, but I thought I would do that thing that we did there, but I just did it here. And I'm like, Oh my god, you got it. And they're like, Oh yeah, wow. Like you found the equation and now you get to plug it in to a certain different situation. Yeah. Once you understand that, then then we're good. So um so yeah, so I guess well now I learn a little bit about how philosophy and and how tangible, um, um, functional activities can kind of come together because usually you think philosophy is like oh yeah cool cool stories man cool stuff but it has to have some practical application but it is yeah a little bit un, in, intangible it's something that you can't really hold but 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 it is in an essence and um, yeah it's fascinating and I, and I do really love that.
1: I think in in, in dog training. Um, in the pet dog world too, there's a really delicate balance. Like, so there's there's two different types of why, and I think this is kind of important. Um, so there's there's why from like the theory standpoint, like we're doing this because you know back in 1930 whatever, like you know Pavlov did what you know I do not even know if it was in the 30s, but you know like people go <laughs> the theory, right, and there's that why there's the theory mm-hmm. kind of why right but there's also the why that is more tangible so for instance let's say we're dealing with a reactive dog right like a leash reactive dog i assume it's probably as big of a problem where you are yeah. as it is. Mm-hmm. and there might be things that we have to do early in training that we know are sort of like preliminary steps that are going to lead towards something greater and There's that why also, where if we don't sufficiently explain, like, okay, this is where we're going, and we're going to sort of deconstruct it. We're going to reverse engineer it so you can see that, like, this starting point is actually connected to that thing, even though it feels unrelated to your problem, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the more important one for our dog training I clients. No. I think when trainers get too bogged down, like, and I'm a theory guy, like, if you mm-hmm. know my work, you know, that I love going deep in the weeds in theory and science and all that stuff. But when I'm teaching dog owners, I don't go there. No. And I think we run a lot of risk if we do. Um, one, one experience that actually had a huge impact on me was, um, are you familiar with Francis Metcalf, the dog yes. trainer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Really talented dog trainer. If anybody out there is not familiar with him, check him out. Canine Circus School. The dude's incredible. Um, so Francis came to Buffalo where I live and uh, did a seminar and it was on his circus stuff. It was basically a tricks seminar and taking a bunch of novice people. He had 30 dogs there uh, and did three groups of 10. And teaching them to do some pretty complicated stuff. And this was around the time when people, especially in the balanced training community, were getting really into like reward markers and understanding the science behind dog training and using all the fancy terminology and all this stuff, right? And in two days, Francis got people doing the most incredible things and improved their handling and their techniques and their communication with their dogs immensely. Not once in the entire seminar, Did he ever use the word reward marker or positive reinforcement or classical condition? Like none of it. He literally was like, okay, put food in your right hand, put it here, move it this way, then do this, then say yes, then feed the dog. Like he just told people what to do. Yeah, And then people were able to see the results. And it was so powerful for me to see that at that point in my career. And what I came to realize too, is that, like you said, like understanding why can, can motivate people to like actually do it. But I think also sometimes first, the first most important thing is like, just tell people what to do and show them that it works. And once they see that it works, they might be more interested in learning why it works. That's true. Because a lot of the people that come to us, dog trainers, they're not really into dog training. Like it's not their thing. They'd rather be doing something else on their, on their weekends or in their evenings. Right. So it's not like if you're in the dog sport world and The people you're working with are like enthusiasts, right? So when these folks come to us, like, they don't really care initially about the theory. Like, they just want their problem solved. But we know that understanding a bit of the theory might help them execute uh, better, right? Like, if they understand what's going on, it's actually going to improve their technique. But don't lead with that. Like, just first, just show them what to do and show them something that's going to have an almost immediate impact. And then once you're like, dang, this is cool. This works. We're like, yeah, it does. You want to know why it works? And yeah. Like, yeah, actually, I kind of do. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to trickle in a little bit of that theory into there. So it's a little bit of a balancing act. But I do you want them to ask on, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think early on it is important to give them the why, as far as how some of the like early things we're doing are going to actually connect to their end problem. So true. Because, like, as an example when i deal with leash reactivity one of my first steps is a process i call food planning um which like we're doing indoors with a food bowl has n- like there's no other dogs around like we're not outside on a walk but what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach the dog a skill set about how to stay calm around something that is really interesting to them and also how to move move away or stay back when something makes them feel compelled to move forward and then we also need the owner to understand I like how to communicate those things to the dog as well. And we want both those parties to have an opportunity to learn those skills in like a way more controlled setting than out on a walk. Right. But if I just start doing that and I don't explain to the client how everything that we're like, cause literally in that exercise, every single technique we use, we're going to actually use on the walk. Like exactly. it's directly related to the walk. But if I don't, if I don't break that down for somebody, I'm going to be doing this exercise and the whole time I'm doing it. The, they're not going to be fully focused because in the back of their mind, they're going like, what is this dude doing? Like, Did I just waste my money signing up with this guy? They're going to be questioning things. And if they're running questions in their head, I don't have their full attention. Totally. So, And that comes up a ton in dog training where we have to teach preliminary skills before we can get to like the real meat and potatoes. And it's super important that before we even start, the person understands the big picture and that part of the like why we're doing this first exercise and how it leads up to resolving your end goal. And that's a totally different form of why than yep. going into weeds up theory.
0: Yes. And, and 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 actually that's um really helpful because yeah the, the two different whys you would think that they are together. You know the theory, then you know where this is going, so this is what you're going to do, but that's not that obvious. So um yeah that that that's awesome. Yeah like so something that um that I teach my clients. Generally, especially for for like leash reactivity stuff, is like the name game. Apply some leash pressure, say your dog's name, release leash pressure, mark, and run away while the dog chases you to get food. Pretty easy stuff. It's like it's um, probably inspired by like a Michael Ellis thing. Um, now I explain now. People like first of all, try to try to make all that happen. Walk in a certain direction, put pressure on, say name, walk backwards, release pressure, mark reward, run away. Like, it's a lot of stuff going on.
1: All yeah. while your heart rate is like going through the roof because there's a dog coming down the street, right? Yeah.
0: Totally. So while we're, like, do it, like, while we're practicing, I can make it look like, hey, look, I'm just walking backwards and I'm saying the dog's name. That's what it looks like. And I say, look, this looks very easy. There's a lot of moving parts here. So we're going to practice this for a bit. Now, while they're ridiculousness, we are walking backwards and you can see they're like, the. as you said, people like, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't get this. And I would then also say, all right, so now you let's talk about why we're doing this. And, and something more fundamental is that you have to also kind of explain to them, every time you tighten that leash, your dog goes opposite direction. He's going to go towards the dog. We want to teach the dog when pressure goes on and you move that way, you want the dog to move with you. And you want your dog's name to be his name, attention. How many times do you use your dog's name? Um, And what does it mean? Does it mean I love you, I hate you, get on the couch, off the couch, this, that? You have so many different meanings for the dog's name, you can't get his attention. So if we can teach the dog a couple of different ways of getting his attention through some tactile pressure and by using your words, then we start to work on this outside in the world. And as you're saying before, then we connect that to one part of our leisure activity. and when so i get them to practice their homework i'll meet them in, in session two and then we start to work the name game you know from a, dis- a dog in the distance or even just out and about they're like oh shit, that's why we're doing this. This is cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's the feeling you need to, you know, like Wim Hof would say, you know, feeling is understanding. Most people think they understand something here, but you got to feel it. you got to experience it to fully understand it. And that's the patience the dog training needs to kind of go through. And, and you got to kind of screw it up a lot of times. And each individual person's different, each dog's different, and that combination's different. So, you know, that's the savviness about, about the training game is about like, what combination do I have here and how do we, we work on that? And I think- um and 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 most of the trainers that I look up to, I'm looking at yeah how they're explaining their why um, and how they can kind of motivate. And I think you do a really good job at that. And um and I think it's super valuable for 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 the trainers out there to listen. And of course, if you're um if you're an owner of a dog and you've got some issues with your dog, or you want to work on your obedience training, or reactivity, or any other behavior problem, kind of understand what you're doing and don't just be doing things frivolously. I think that's that's really important. Um. I would like to talk about a little bit about your own dogs. What dog or dogs do you own currently?
1: Yeah, I'm down to one. All right. Uh, I have Charlie. He's a very old, small little mutt. He's a terrier dachshund of some sort. Um, I used to, I, I have had two to three dogs for the past 10 to 15 years. And uh, they kind of all are becoming senior. And I, um, we kind of just, you know we have young kids now so we decided to let our pack get smaller and um Charlie's kind of he's like my heart dog um he's the one that's that's been closest to me throughout the years and um really wanted to just take this time to kind of really just give him my full attention i, I don't think i have much time left with him to be honest and um, he's a real special guy so i plan on you know just just having him until his time comes and and then we'll go from there uh but he's a cool guy he's maybe 15 16 years old we don't totally know he's a rescue and um he's he's just my guy he's my dude that's yeah, awesome man. I
0: love that it's- yeah I think that's it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that because having three dogs myself um and one of my dogs is like 13 the other ones eight and the other one's three and um you know, it's like sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to hang out with these right now only because I don't have enough arms. And if I'm patting one, the yeah. other one comes and I'm like, I feel bad. I don't want to let anyone miss out. I've got the cat coming up to me now. My son's there. I'm like, oh, and, I, and people kind of sometimes don't, I guess, realize that, especially, you know, one of my dogs is my something dog.
1: special about having just one dog, man. I yeah. gotta say, like, it's, it's a different connection you get to have with them. That's true. Um, I, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it Mm. And I'm, I'm really enjoying having just one dog. And I think, you know, at least until my kids are older, I don't I don't know that I'm going to have multiple dogs again for a while. Yeah. Um, I think having one dog is, is kind of a special thing. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I really enjoy it right now. There was a time in my life and career where, where having multiple dogs was, was um, useful, I yeah. guess, for lack of another term, right? My mm-hmm. dogs were coming to work with me every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was using them a lot as, as, you know, work partners. Um, but th- that sort of phase of my career is, is no longer here. And yeah. um, now my dogs are really just companions. And uh, I like one, I like having one. I know people think that people are like, man, I thought you would have like a bunch of dogs or I thought you're going to have like a big dog. Or, like, no, nah. like I got my little old man. He get he mm-hmm. goes on wagon rides. Like he, he can't even walk that far anymore. So I take him on his little wagon and uh, we go out. I saw that video walks, you put up then, today. Yeah. Like I'll let him walk a few houses. Like you can only do a few at a time. Um, and like, he, he won't walk away from our house. Yeah. So I have to like take him in the wagon away. <laughs> and then like, we'll kind of like make him do a few houses at a time back towards the house and give him little breaks in his wagon. And he just, he loves it and he gets so excited for his little wagon rides. I so.
0: love that. Um, yeah.
1: Next dog. What are you thinking?
0: Breed wise. Are you not sure? Oh
1: man. Um, what would you like right, anyway? So Top three, maybe. Some people are gonna hate me here, man. People are gonna <laughs> really hate me. Um, all right. So first off, like I'm a huge fan of of mixes. Like I as f- from a for, for a pet, I really like mixed breed dogs. Um, so there's a couple of rescues here in Buffalo that I really like. Um, if you're in Buffalo or around the area, Buffalo Cares, it's one of my favorite rescues. They get some really nice dogs. It's run by really good people, they do a nice job. Um, and so I definitely want another smaller type dog, like probably under 30 pounds. Um, I'm a sucker for like scruffy looking dogs in particular. I know you're not supposed to buy based on looks, but I'm a sucker for those scruffy little dogs. (laughs) I do like, um, for me, like at this point in my life, I want like a relatively low drive, probably a little bit more on the submissive end of things. Um, like that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, and this is the part where like some people might hate me here, but you know, I've trained a few of them and everyone I've trained, I've really liked the Cavapoos, the Cavalier poodle mixes. Oh uh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Boy, I've met some really, really, they can be really Cavalier. cool. I do enjoy them too. Like they're fun. They're pretty docile, but they're still like motivated enough to like train and do stuff with, um, just personality. I don't know, man. Like. So I, I was talking to a woman that I met at ICP conference and she, like, I thought she almost blew a gasket when I told her cabacos, like in, in a playful way. Um, and she was like, why? You know, and I'm kind of telling her and I'm, I'm giving her my logic to go back to like logic stuff, right? Like I'm giving her my logic and she's, she's refuting every bit of logic I'm throwing at her, right? And I looked at her and I was like, you know what, man? Like, the heart wants what the heart wants like you know sometimes you meet somebody and you just jive with them and you don't really know why like that's the way i feel about Cavapoos. like i don't know every time i meet one i just really just feels good like i just like them mm-hmm. um so yeah i like if i was going to go pure breed I, that'd probably be the first breed i would look at to be honest with you because it's a great in my experience really great family dog right which is sort of like what what i want and okay do you mind if i go on a little bit of a like of course please do it do it (laughs) again i might i might anger some people that's all right like this is my thing right now okay um like i'm not a big like purebred dog guy okay i think if you are doing sports if you are hunting if you have a profession that you're using your dog as assistance for um, I think pure breed dogs are great because you need a certain purpose in them. You need to, you need intensity in certain traits. I think from a pet dog standpoint, um, in as a general statement, I don't think pure breed dogs are often the way to go. And here's why. So, first of all, I think we all can agree here that people buying the wrong dog is like what keeps us in business as dog trainers, mm-hmm. right? Like fundamentally like if, if if people really want to get rid of the use of like e-collars and prong collars don't come after us dog trainers mm-hmm. go after the breeders yeah go after the akc because you know if you go on if you buy like an akc breed book to this day and you look up the german shepherd dog at some point in the description it's going to tell you that it's a great family pet mm-hmm. it is not a great family pet not for the modern family Maybe 50 years ago, not today. Because here's the thing our lives are changing rapidly. I mean, look at technology. Look at what's going on with AI right now, right? But it's not just that. I mean, the way that we live, the way that we incorporate dogs into our lives is changing at a rapid pace. And we've been given this amazing gift. We've got this animal that, unlike any other animal on the planet, Has this weird genetic trait that we can create mutations in a very small number of generations. We can create everything from a Chihuahua to a Great Dane in like 50 years. Like it's in no other species of animal on earth can mutate that quickly as far as I know. That's right. Yet, yet the AKC and people that are really into pure breeds, they're trying to preserve the breeds right? But they're preserving traits that are no longer adapted for modern life. So we had evolution, right? We had natural selection, which was all about adaptation, better fit for survival in the world. And then we had artificial selection, which initially was still kind of the same goal. It was like, we need dogs to be able to do XYZ. So let's create an animal with that trait. Let's create dogs that see better. Let's create dogs that hear better, that smell better, that run faster. And there was a reason that we were doing that. And then we stopped doing that, right? So our lives kept changing. Our What we need out of dogs continued to change. We stopped adapting the dogs yeah. with our lives, because mm-hmm. if we adapt their personality traits, guess what? It's also going to change the way they look. You have probably seen that study they did with the foxes, yeah, in like Ukraine or something like that, right? Where they started breeding docile foxes and it made their ears floppy and spotted coats. What was it really after yelled, like twenty
0: generations or something? Wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, well. So you're going to disrupt the the like the what the breed is supposed to be. But we're we've got all these people that are so hell bent on preserving these breeds. And these breeds are no longer suitable for modern life for the yeah. average person. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people here. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. But, but we've got, but like, and like, why we've got mm-hmm. this animal that can adapt so quickly and we're like not taking advantage of it. And then people come along and start breeding dogs specifically to be good pets for modern life. Mm-hmm. A lot of those dogs are called doodles. Now, not mm-hmm. all doodles. Don't get me wrong. Some of the yeah. doodles are like, why are you mixing those together? Like that yeah. doesn't make any sense. But mm-hmm initially and a lot of like the golden doodles the labradoodles again these cavapoos like here's somebody that's coming along and saying hey let's breed a dog that's just like a really good fit for the modern family and then what happens anytime somebody like publicly buys one like they get completely shit upon by the dog community right that makes like talk about like being illogical, like it yeah. makes absolutely no sense. If we okay. actually care about dogs, if we actually want to reduce the use of like punishment and e collars and prong collars, we should be congratulating people. If we want to keep dogs out of shelters, we should be encouraging people to buy the dogs that are actually more likely to stay in the home. Yet, we have organizations like the AKC telling people that German Shepherds are going to be a great family pet when they live on a cul-de-sac with three young kids and their friends coming over all the freaking time. And guess who has to deal with the aftermath? Me. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. and every other dog trainer in the world here. right Now, I'm not saying German Shepherds shouldn't exist and Rottweilers shouldn't exist. They're great dogs for the right purpose. But we need Mm -hmm. to change the way that we're marketing them. And there certainly is just far too many of them in the world. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. There's just way more... Of these working type, purpose bred dogs, than there actually should be. Yeah, because most people shouldn't own them. That's the yeah, reality. A, yeah, look, it's you a.
0: I, I sit on the fence in regards to like not like that. that I'm anywhere like for like breed specific leg, legislations or anything, but I'm on the fence because I'm like I'm in the battlefield. I'm I'm frontline warrior in in the regard of going. I rock up to the house just like you said. I'm like what, like what, why, why do we have this dog now? I know you like dogs. You've always had. German Shepherds. We'll call. We'll just stick with German Shepherds for now. And and I love German Shepherds. I think they're awesome. And and, and I'll definitely own one one day um, when my situation's better. But just knowing my situation, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm have to suffer yeah, more. But you're we
1: educated get... enough to make that decision. Yeah. You know, people are are they're marketed to. You know, some of these out there are so unethical, man. Like the number of elderly people, like legit, like mid seventies into the eighties year old people that are being sold German shepherd puppies yeah. in this country is alarming and mm-hmm. it's dangerous and it's disastrous. Yeah. If people really want to get rid of the use of like, like I said, punishment, e-cows, etc., those breeders should be your number one target
0: mm. because That's there's no point.
1: way you're going to make that a livable situation with clickers and p- positive reinforcement yeah and what what the average trainer like myself is forced to do is fit this round peg in a square hole and yeah. it's also i think one of the reasons that so many dog trainers burn out because it's, it's really true. disheartening it's, it's really true. disheartening and the we worst. know that a lot of those dogs will be doing just fine if they were in a different environment yeah and a lot of those people will be just fine if they owned a different dog
0: yeah i you
1: had that, actually i had that
0: exact so, thought yesterday when i was driving to a client and i heard the puppy barking halfway down the street and i um and I thought, oh, you know, like I, I really do feel like my strong suit is like working with the aggressive and reactive dogs. But you have to see these puppies. You have to see the, ordi- like we'll say the ordinary s- sessions, the obedience stuff. And I just want my dog to like be calm in the house and, you know, walk nice on the leash. And, you know, it's nice to do the obedience and the puppy stuff because you need a break from <clears throat> from working with those, um, with those intense dogs. Because first of all, you're disheartened. You feel like you're failing the dog, the dog, the dog's being failed. And it's like, who, who, why are we in this position? You know, and then you're burning out because you're putting a lot of emotion and thought and energy into it. And it's a very difficult, it's not easy to like, imagine like, you know, working with four or five reactive dogs every single day, five days a week. Yeah. You're, you're how, how are you going to stay sane? So yeah. Yeah. To that point.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you young. get people that buy like a, you know, one of those uh, like Turkish Kangal dogs to like live in their cul-de-sac with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then they wonder why the dog's chewing through their walls and, like, about to blast through their fence and attack all their neighbors. It's true. And, like, and then, like, I'm the bad guy for trying to get that dog under control. Meanwhile, the breeders out there just selling those dogs, like, hotcakes left and right, telling everybody they're going to be a great family pet. You know what I mean? And and it's, so it's, you know, really what it comes down to here, man, is I'm just trying to defend my decision to purchase a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> That's all <laughs> it really boils down to here. <laughs> I'm just trying to... Hey man, I've got a, I've got a multi-pom, so I've got
0: a little Maltese Pomeranian. She's awesome. You know, yeah. you know. Um, and I've got, you no know, Spades, my 13 year old, he's a Roddy Shepherd mix, you know, he's a rescue, so it's hard to t- tell what he yeah. is. And then, you know, I've got a Cooley um, currently, and it's nice to have one of each size. So when people say these are big dog techniques, I'm like, Well, I've got a little dog and we do the same thing with the little dog and look at her. That's she can trick.
1: be trained. That's the trick with little dogs. I always tell people, I say the key with little dogs is to raise them like they're gonna grow up to be a Rottweiler. Yeah. Then yep. you have a cool little dog. hundred yeah.
0: percent You know, so um look, I, I like all dogs. Um, I, I love all dogs. Um, for what they are. There's certain man. breeds that are probably not in the right sort of hands. With. Yeah, that too in as right well. Yeah. But um yeah, it's just that it's that look that's a massive rabbit hole, and um, so, so many things to talk about. We probably should get you back on so we can um go a yeah, lot. I know I on. didn't
1: mean to, I didn't no, mean I to look go what you've done there, but it's something I think about all the time, you know what I mean? Because I just see people struggling all the time, and I see well, there has to be more out there that it's just a bad fit, you know? Yeah, it's and again, like it's it's this, like you just look at it, you look at this gift that we have of like I said, these dogs that we can, we can adapt them, like we can create anything we want with dogs, yeah, and then like the biggest organization of in dog world, like the AKC, I don't know if they're the biggest, but they're one of the biggest, right? Like they're out there going like, no, 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 Stop adapting. Like mm. stop, let's stop making these dogs better fit for society. Like, What's well, because we don't need, it'll like be like, if I was a car enthusiast and I thought everybody should drive model T Fords, even, even on like 80 mile an hour highways, right? Like it just doesn't make logical sense yeah. anymore. It's, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's no, a huge I, I, no, I, I feel you because, you know, a hundred years
0: ago, and lot and, and and before you like you you would also say no we need these dogs for these jobs and now yeah, it's a purpose it, it has its purpose and and now we're trying to like surrogate so much of the dog's purpose into an everyday life for the dog just so they can be fulfilled and it's like but that it, and that's it's important you should biologically fulfill the dog but is your life actually biologically going to fulfill your dog and if not and you know it gets a very you know we, you know we've yeah we're Delicate. definitely and, like, annoying a lot why of people. I create
1: dogs that are like so much easier for the modern person to fulfill, and the person's happier, the dog's happier. Those dogs are less likely to end up in shelters. Those dogs are not going to need as many like e collars and prong collars and all these tools that so many people want to get rid of, right? Like it's so. When you mean adapt, it's, it's a systemic a, issue. Yeah, you know? we'll, we'll stick with the GSD
0: for a sec and say, well, then we got the shepherd, and we're going to adapt him. Would you suggest we adapt the shepherd's traits? into something that's more, um, you know, modern
1: so that we take- No, man, here's what I think. I think you keep the shepherd what, as it is, right? But you you tell it, like you call a spade a spade, right? Yeah. So like, um, again, like we need dogs like German shepherds, right? Like police sure. departments, military, they need mm-hmm. the Malinois, the shepherds, right? They need these dogs, right? But they don't need nearly the number of them that are currently being bred, And we don't need to be telling people that these are good fits for like their family right now. You know what I mean? Like, but what we should be doing is we should stop demonizing people that are creating new quote unquote designer breeds. Mm -hmm. As long as those people are creating the breeds with the right intention and the right intention should be making a dog that's better adapted for the modern family. So that's the problem. The problem isn't necessarily that we shouldn't, that, that we need to, that we need to change the old breeds. Yeah. The issue is that we need to change the way we market them. We need to probably breed less of them, and we need to stop making people feel bad about, have- oh, you just you just paid $3,000 for a mutt. It's like, what do you think your German Shepherd was at one point? And yeah, that's true. Why are we making these people feel bad when they're literally just trying to make a dog that's a little bit better for the average person yeah. to own? So that's kind of the bigger piece of it. I got nothing against German Shepherds. I owned Mountain sure. Law for years. I love Rottweilers. Like some yep. of the coolest dogs I've ever met are Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. Um, but also some of the most dangerous situations that I've seen clients in are also Rottweilers. Yeah. Right? So I just think we need to be more upfront about what these dogs are really bred for. Probably reduce. But 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 here's the thing. You want to reduce the number of them that are being bred. We don't need to legislate that. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we live yeah, that in was a what was capitalist to.
1: society. If we encourage people, and and we really promote buying dogs that are better adapted, buying the, the mixed breeds that are that are bred for the right purposes, bred to be a better adapted dog, if that's where money is flowing, yeah. then that's what the breeders are going to breed.
0: Mm, it's true. You see what I mean? Yeah. That's I do.
1: what that's it's 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 a money makes the world go round at the end of the day. Yeah. And so here we are. Again, my biggest problem is not the breeding of the German Shepherd. It's the demonizing of the people that breed the doodle. Yeah. And the demonizing of the people that choose mm. to buy the doodle.
0: Yeah, true. Instead of
1: rescuing the like high-strung pit bull out of the shelter. Again, I love pit bulls. Nothing. I'm not trying to knock pit bulls. No, I get you. But yep. why are we making people feel bad about something that actually, if we really care about the future of dogs... We should actually be encouraging that behavior. And then the people that need that are breeding the German shepherds for the police departments and the military and the sport people, those select few can still do just what they're doing and keep those German shepherds. Dude, finding a good German shepherd for sport or working purposes these days, is like finding a needle in the haystack anyway. They're they're so overbred. So you probably actually end up bettering the German shepherd for what it is. But less of them would be getting bred because people wouldn't be buying them if we really started marketing dogs in a more yeah. sensible way and we stopped demonizing people for t- trying to create a breed that's better adapted because that's the whole yeah. like we ha- we have this ability with dogs why are we why are we making people feel bad for using mm-hmm. this ability especially when you look at how rapidly our lives are changing that's kind of my big point here again i'm not trying to get rid of german shepherds or get rid yeah, of, of Rottweilers so. or make them different Keep them the way they are, but stop selling so goddamn many of them to families yeah. and to elderly people that really are not suited for those dogs. You know, people used to ask me all the time, like when, when I would meet people and they find out my dog trainer, they say, Hey, what's the hardest breed to train? What's the hardest dog to train? And at the first, I didn't know how to answer that question, but but ultimately, my answer is always the same. The hardest dog to train is the dog that you're trying to train to go against its nature. Sure. Yeah, good. Right? I love that. Training a beagle that. to live in a one-bedroom apartment super hard. Mm-hmm. Training a beagle to run in the woods and flush out game beautiful, the best. You know what I mean? Hundred so, percent. But we're not marketing dogs that way, and no. and I'm, I'm a lot of it is the breed organizations, right? Yeah, like that's, true. A lot of it comes down to them because, of and the, like, and of course, people's ego.
0: You know, like they're like, yeah. oh, I don't want a small one. I want to walk down the street with a big dog. You know, because I want to no, look. So beat up
1: beat up breed a really big very submissive low prey drive dog yeah but the guess what if you do that to German Shepherds they are going to come out looking different so you got to create a new breed yeah true for that purpose and then we need to stop making people feel bad about doing that
0: yeah I'm down with that and I think also the question is like well then first of all let's ask the question why do you have a dog What, what is your why for a dog if you can find out what your why is for a dog then you can then go well then this is the and we did an episode about choosing a dog how do you choose a dog and i've been setting that out so much to so many people because um and i'm not the trainer and i said to my clients yesterday i said to them okay so you have one dog you love that dog you wanted him to have a friend in your tiny ass little apartment so you get a cattle dog cross god knows what they've had 40 fights 40 i'm like 40 you mean 14 no 40. i'm like okay so like sometimes three times a day i'm like all right and she goes oh, and They stopped fighting. They've stopped fighting because it's been five days. <laughs> like, you don't count that as stop fighting because they haven't forty-five days. Obviously, they used to fight a lot more. And then I go so, but and I can I ask. Look, we're going through the session, but I'm going to start off in a way that I don't normally. But I say, why do you have this dog, this new dog? And she goes, I just I committed to him. I've committed to him. How could I get rid of him? And she's like, I feel bad for him because he. And then she gives me this backstory. I'm like, yeah, sure, but you had an original dog that you love that you loved originally to make his life better. Now you've added the new dog. Now you have to commit to this dog, but you're not committing to the original dog. Now they hate each other and they want to kill each other every day. In your apartment we you have no space, it's hard to even separate them. You know, so you can see where we're going. Like, why do we have the dogs? Do we have them to accumulate more because I committed, because I thought it was a good idea? You can adapt and change. And also we can, uh, it's just, it, it's hard for people, you know, when, as you said, you know, people feel bad. You got you got rid of your dogs.
1: It's like, man, my, my dogs are trying to kill each other. I had to rehome the dog. Yes. Man, that's another thing we got to stop doing is we've got to stop um, making it this big taboo to like find a new home for the dog, right? Like sometimes it's just really not a good match. And I cannot tell you how many cases I've seen. Uh, Here's a perfect example. I had um, an old, longtime client. Her name was Rose. She worked with a German Shepherd rescue. So she was a regular client of mine because she would put a lot of her fosters through training with me. And I've seen this woman handle everything reactive dogs, human aggressive dogs, happy go lucky dogs, dogs with medical issues. From a handler standpoint, from a client standpoint, Rose was as good as it gets. Skilled, been through multiple trainings of me, right? She gets this one foster, very least reactive, and she struggled with him. She's really struggled with him. And you know he was listed for adoption but this but the rescue was open about his issues and this woman wanted to adopt him and she's like listen like i'm like i'm cool with it like i'm i'm fine with it like i'll I'll bring him to training like you know i I get it whatever dog went to this woman no issues Mm. just no issues yeah right for whatever reason and it's nothing that rose was doing wrong I've I've been in this woman's home like she's a solid handler, amazing dog owner. Any dog would be blessed to be able to live with her. It just wasn't a good mesh of personalities, I guess. Right? Yeah. It's like we don't, we don't even bat an eye when two people get divorced and they have like young kids, Mm. and yet if somebody rehomes their dog, it's like they they're going to go to hell. Like they just did the most evil thing in the world. Like, again, this doesn't add up from a logical standpoint. And I think we got to stop making people feel so bad about it. I, I, I think obviously, you know, maybe don't just like dump your dog on the doorstep of the kill shelter in your neighborhood. But there are a lot of avenues to find a dog a new home and help ensure it goes into a good place or work with a really reputable rescue or a shelter that has dogs in nice, clean quarters and doesn't kill them and things like that. And why are we making people feel so bad about this? When a lot of times, it's actually in the dog's best interest. And I know more than a few dog trainers who have rehomed dogs. Mm -hmm. Because dog trainers get it. Like, they Mm -hmm. know. Like, I need a dog that's a good match for my life. I'm a dog trainer. Like, my dog's... On the road with me, they're coming to work with me. Like they got to be able to handle a lot. And if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. You know what I mean? But you're right. People are made to feel absolutely terrible about that. Yes, yeah, and then tough. they're stuck with these dogs, and the dog is unhappy, and the person's unhappy, and both parties would probably have a lot less stress in their life if they just found a different partner.
0: Exactly. So yeah, know know your why of what you get. Like why you want a dog. What are you trying to actually achieve? I want a nice family pet. Um, you know, and 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 yeah, and, and I, like I a lot of people are like oh. I can't stand the cavoodles and whatever, whatever. And I'm like, oh no, they're kind of cool. I like them. You know, there's there's heaps of times where I'm in a client's house. I'm like, you need a little Cavalier or something. I don't know what's going on here. Um, and you know and but like,
1: But like, you don't have to like the cavoodle, but also don't make somebody else feel bad for buying one.
0: No. And also know the match because sometimes, yeah, yeah. And you, and you need to know, like, you need, need to know enough about each breed and specific, you know, temperaments and traits for you to be like, I think in this situation, maybe – maybe this little X, Y, or Z will be good for you, you know? So, um, you know, yeah, you ha- and, and, and of course, every breed have their characteristics, but each individual is different. You know, you just need to kind of go through that. And then, you know, if someone's listening and, and wanting to, um to choose a dog, we'll listen to ch- um find search, choose a dog, choosing a dog on, on our podcast list, but also, um you know, reach out, ask the right questions, um, reach out to, to a trainer and be like, Hey, this is my situation. What do you reckon? Help us out, you know? So, um, and, yeah, if you're seventy and you've always had German Shepherds, you've always had Mastiffs, you've always had whatever, and now because you, you've always had them, and now you're complaining. But my others didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, but you would, but you also haven't been seventy before, so yeah, you need to adapt. You probably also situation.
1: could do like cartwheels back in the day, but like, yeah, can you do for it sure. now? You know, that's no, a good anyway, point. Anyway, I'm, I'm probably shooting myself in the foot here because no, I've, you I've you been, been up telling now. my friends for a while because these these Cavalier Poodle mixes are actually quite expensive, and I've been telling my friends that when I'm when I'm getting ready, what I'm going to do. I'm gonna pull an Elon Musk on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the social media because I still have a little bit of pull in this industry, and I'm gonna start a smear campaign. I'm gonna talk a lot of trash about them. I'm gonna really drive down the market price, <laughs> then I'm gonna go in and scoop them up. I um, love that. that's a good idea. <laughs> but now I'm but but now I'm publicly recorded talking about how much. Oh, uh, look at on, that! So
0: that's right, we, we haven't released it yet, up. so we'll see how we go. No, so no, no, I think it's edit um, that all
1: out. Now look, I think, and
0: look, and it's also like another thing as well. And we'll wrap it up on here because I've got to go um, train two little dogs myself out in Bondi. But, um, but it's important that first of all we're sharing ideas and thoughts. Next year you may be like, yeah, I had this thought, and actually I I can add on to this thought, or I'll retract something. We're allowed to have an opinion. We're sharing our opinion. We're here to be vulnerable. We're here to like speak our thoughts. I've got a couple of questions, but we're not going off no script. And you know, we're just we're just shooting the shit. We're having a conversation triggering some thoughts and some perspective because you may be triggered by what tyler said today and then in six months time you'll be like actually i kind of see what, what what he's talking about so again yeah. we, as we said right at the beginning don't be afraid to put your thoughts out there because you don't know who you're inspiring you don't know who you're helping we're trying to help each other i've learned things today and that's why i enjoy doing the podcast as well and and um and and, and another- again i'm
1: not saying that nobody should buy a german shepherd but no, totally the right people the right people, German
0: German. Oh, I, I, And anybody I who's a professional
1: so. trainer knows that, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These well, it's, it's
1: a lot of these dogs are getting in the wrong hands. It's, yep. it's an ugly situation.
0: Hey, my mate the other day, and and actually two mates in the last three three weeks, I've discouraged them from getting a dog. They're like, "Oh, I was of a dog." I'm like, "I'm shooting their 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 their, their ideas down." I'm like, "No, nah, you're not in the right." situation I, I spend more time <laughs> discouraging people getting dogs from time to time compared to i'm um, encouraging them only because i'm like i know i know what's going to happen first of all um you're going to call me every 25 seconds about stupid questions and then after 25 days you're going to be like oh have i done the right thing i know your situation and then there's other times when i'm like hey we're, we're ready for a dog i'm like this is awesome let's let's go down that rabbit hole i'm going to help you so um even though i love dogs i don't think everyone should own a dog and um, and not everyone's ready for a dog and then when it, you are ready for the dog you're not ready for each in and, and, and eat just any breed just because you you like the velvety coat of a of a visual you it may not be the best situation for you so um so yeah, i think it's a it's really important because yeah and as as you said our techniques and our training and the need for training i wish we kind of didn't have a job um it would be nice if every dog was fulfilled all the time and everyone was being happy i know that's an unrealistic um you know, think to kind of say out loud and actually hope for. but um but yeah, most of the the um the stress from us comes from the fact that I'm trying to, yeah, you're, we're trying to put that round hole I'll um the round peg into that square hole and it's just it is discouraging, you know, when you want like I want to make this work, I want you to get results, but also I'm like, this is just and you have to be upfront with your clients as well and be like, this is just how I feel and I don't want to have to keep coming and doing the same thing you guys are just not ready for it. Yeah, It's, it's, it's such a tough conversation to have. And, and, um and it is a bit of an issue in our industry, but I don't know. I hope, I hope things improve and change and I don't think we're in the, the worst place in the world, but we are also heading to, we are he- heading to some uncertain times ahead of us. So it could, you know, time will tell where we, which direction we go in terms of dog ownership because it can be a little bit questionable at times, right?
1: It, it certainly can. Yeah, it certainly can. But, um, you know, I think, I think we've got to do right by dogs. Yeah. At the end of the day, we've got to do right by dogs. And I think, um, like I said, it really comes down to the way that we're marketing certain breeds. And I, I think, uh, in a lot of cases we're doing more harm than good. And, um, you know, let's, let's create dogs that are, that are fit. You know, here's an extreme example. Um, do you guys, you guys might not get these dogs there. Do you guys get the, like the pot cake dogs, the, like the Caribbean pot cake dogs ever? No, you, you might get something similar on your side of the world. So basically they're like those medium brownish dogs that tend to live in third world countries around the equator and uh, they're yeah. street dogs, right? they're, they're feral street dogs. And um, well, yeah, you say him, is, like
0: I'm is, looking at them now. You, you'd say, you'd say the the
1: this yeah. type of mixes in for sure. They'd probably call them something different from a different part of the world, but but they've studied this and like if you look at the same latitude all around the world, like these dogs all kind of look the same. And what they've determined is that these aren't like the product of like dogs that were owned that got strayed, that mated. Like these are a population of dogs that have evolved kind of separately. Right. Like there's the wolves who stayed off in the woods. There's the wolves who got super comfortable with humans. And there was these ones that kind of stayed on the fringes that were like, we're kind of comfortable with humans, but we don't want to be in their homes. We just want to eat their garbage. Right. And these dogs, like genetically, are just they're not like they don't want to be companion dogs. Like they're they're different than companion dogs. But rescues go down and they bring these dogs back into the states and they put them into homes. And these dogs are miserable. Like they're just absolutely miserable in most cases. In some cases, the owners can't touch them. It's it's difficult to put a leash or a collar on the dogs for years, even with training. I I've, I've seen these dogs owned by professional trainers that know what they're doing and it still takes years, if ever, to get the dogs to the point where they can even touch them. But even then, it's like not really affection, right? Yeah. And so here's a perfect example of a situation where this dog is adapted for a specific lifestyle and then we're plopping it into a home that it's maladapted for, right? So that's like the extreme version of it, you know? That's the extreme version of it. But all I'm really saying is, let's just think about like, what would make a dog, if if it were like an evolution thing, right? What would make a dog most suitable for survival with a modern family? Survival means not getting relinquished to a shelter, not getting euthanized, not running off chasing a deer or getting hit by a car not getting into dog fights and getting like what would make a dog most suited for survival for the average person's modern life and i think that it's okay for people to maybe try to consciously create breeds that are designed for that and i don't think that they should feel bad And I think that we should be honest about other breeds that maybe are really cool in their own right and serve some really cool purposes, but maybe aren't the best adapted for modern life. And like, let's just be honest about that and upfront about that. And let's encourage people to purchase dogs that like wouldn't make Darwin vomit in his grave. You know what I mean? At at the end of the day, I think that's kind of the message here. Well, you basically just got to consider the dog, hey? <laughs> got it, exactly. Consider I love the dog, that. Right. Just be, be mindful of it. Yeah. Well, I and mean, that's where I, the name comes from, right? Yeah. 100%. Shoes, you know?
0: I love that. Well, look, I know people's feet are probably so sore from kicking their dashboard right now from our last little bit of our <laughs> conversation. So we're sorry about that. But, um, but hey, Tyler, thanks for coming on. I've got 20 minutes to Pleasure. get ready and get out to, to do some, yeah. um, some training. Let's but, do this
1: again, though. Let, let's get to some of those other questions you have. Let's set yeah, up one. We'll do this 100% again. Do we're going to tee this up
0: again. Hundred percent. I, I I love chatting with you, and and um and we can just keep. Trying. I, I wish I could just reschedule my whole rest of my um day so we can keep going. But um, but I'm going to leave us at that. Um, hey, thanks again um for um for coming on. Just give a plug to how people can find you and and um and your website. Yeah, and here, stuff. let's
1: do this. Let's do this. Um, so uh for consider the dog it's just considerthedog.com. dot com. But let me do this for for those of you who have actually like stuck it out through this conversation. I'm going to make a coupon code right now. Um, awesome. we'll, we'll make it Nouches, N O O C H S. That'll give you 50% off your first three months. Okay. So cool. you get a feel for for how the thing works, right? So that's it's $10 a month that makes it for the first three months. So Nouches, N O O C H S. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that coupon code right now.
0: Oh, awesome. Uh, I'm going to put that in the show notes on. as well. Or should Beautiful. I wait? I'll put it in the show notes. No, and people have to I'm, listen. I'm going to do it right now. Right, no, cool. no, no,
1: it's fine. Do it right now. It's fine. Um, so, and then, uh, and then if you're interested, if you're a professional trainer and you're interested in, um, coaching, I coach professionals for both their like training practices, but also business stuff. Um, I've kind of seen it all from an industry standpoint and run a very successful business for many, many years. Uh, just tylermuto.com, T-Y-L-E-R-M-U-T-O.com. So those are my two websites. That's sort where of to find me. I'm on all the socials as well under both those two names. And um, so I've got two YouTube channels and two Instagrams and all that kind of stuff. But That'll keep you busy. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly, man, yep. Cool, man. Well, thanks, Tyler,
0: again for coming on and I um, hope you enjoy the rest of your evening and we'll do this again in a couple of months. All right, it's been a pleasure. See you, brother. See ya. Thank you for listening to the episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np__dog__training, underscore underscore my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www. Kizuna. That's
1: K-I-Z-U-N-A. K9C-A-N-I-N-E. dot com. dot uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna K9 Training.
0: Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.